All right, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you need a Bible, we have some out here on the uh, edges of the, of the room on these tables and the shelves there. If you have one of those Bibles, it's on page 1056. Last week, we started a new series that, that where we're, we're looking at the, the values that we hold here at Redeemer, things that we hold as, as vitally important to the life and ministry of this church. Uh, if, you, if you came in last week, maybe you grabbed a handout. If you didn't, we still have more at the round table back there. You'll find these values on that handout along with our mission and our vision statement. Uh, last week, I, or like I said last week, that this, this list is not like the, the catch-all, right? So if we're talking about the Word of God, everything else is, is subservient to that. God's Word is the final authority. So we don't, we don't hold God's Word up to the, uh, this, this mission, vision, vision, values statement that we created. We hold that up to the Word of God, okay? It's not an exhaustive list. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, nothing else is important to us besides these things, but these are things that we want to give particular attention to, particular emphasis to as we grow together in dependence upon Jesus and in confidence in Christ and as we help each other uh, fulfill this mission of our church to, to, to bring glory to Jesus by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our lives. Each of these values is derived from and driven by God's word, and that's why the first value is God's word, the Bible, okay? The Bible is foundational to every value on the list. We just sang about it, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word, right? It's foundational to every aspect of life and ministry here at Redeemer. Last week, we looked at Psalm 19, and we talked about the necessity of God's word, it's absolutely pivotal. It's vital. We cannot do without it, right? And this morning, we're going to look at this letter from Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start in verse 10. We'll go to, to chapter 4, verse 5, and we're going to talk about the sufficiency of God's word. Now, chronologically, this second letter to Timothy contains Paul's final words written in the New Testament. Final words of Paul written in the New Testament. Now, his letters to Titus and Philemon they come after this letter in the layout of the New Testament, but not in the timeline of it, okay? What we're reading today are, are the words of a, of a man who's ready to die, ready to die for preaching the word. That's what he was on trial for. He's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome where he's on trial for preaching and ministering the gospel, and, and things were not looking good for him. Paul knew that he would soon be convicted. He knew that he was going to be killed and put to death because of his gospel ministry. And so he spent his final words here to his beloved son in the faith, encouraging and urging Timothy not to be afraid of opposition, but to rely on God's power and endure suffering and hardship and persecution for the sake of the gospel. Throughout this letter, Paul continually points Timothy back to the scriptures as a sure and steady anchor, as the foundation for all things. In chapter 2, he tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he shows Timothy that the way to do that is by remaining strong in the word of God, using it to teach others about his grace, that is this grace that is in Christ Jesus, and using it to gently and patiently instruct the false teachers that Timothy was facing in the hopes that they too might experience this grace and be saved. In the first part of chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy that this 
This is, a, this is a tall order. This is not an easy task because people will love themselves instead of loving God and they'll choose their own lies and foolishness over the truth and wisdom of God's word. In our passage this morning, Paul is going to remind Timothy yet again of the sufficiency of God's word for enduring through life and ministry. And this is a reminder not just that Timothy needs, but that we all need if we too want to remain strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And so because this is God's word, and we're about to dig into it, I want to pray and ask for his help, and then we'll, we'll go. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that endures forever, that's faithful and true, that comes directly from you. And we pray this morning that you would teach us that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at our website, RedeemerMinunk.com, on the homepage you'll find a section entitled, What to Expect. I think it might also be in, uh, in our, our little program handout here. Um, here's what it says, okay? We gather together each week, or when we gather together each week, we will read, sing, preach, pray, and live God's word. We will read, sing, preach, pray, and live God's word. Since all scripture is God-breathed, and we'll talk about that this morning, and God cannot lie, which scripture tells us this, the Bible is our trustworthy foundation and authority for all life. And since all of scripture points to Jesus Christ, everything that we do on, sun, on a Sunday morning will point to Jesus too. And I would add, not just on a Sunday morning, but this is, this is the aim of our life as a church family is to point to Jesus Christ in all that we do and to use the scriptures in our life to do that, right? Now, it's a sad reality of our time that more and more churches are pushing the Bible aside and dismissing it as unreliable or irrelevant or outdated. And instead of preaching the word of God and pointing people to Jesus Christ, they're promoting the narrative of a culture that opposes God and, and points people back to themselves, but God's word is not unreliable, it's not irrelevant, it's not outdated. How do I know this? Because his word says so. Here's what it says in Psalm 119, 89 and 90. Lord, your word is forever. It's forever. It's fixed firmly in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. God's word is forever. His faithfulness is fixed for all generations. Those two things go together. His faithfulness is shown to us through his fixed word. And here's what we're going to see in our passage this morning. Here's the, the main point of this sermon. God's word is completely sufficient to equip us with everything that we need for godly living and gospel ministry. God's word is completely sufficient to equip us with everything that we need for godly living and gospel ministry. Let's look at the first part of that. God's word is completely sufficient for gospel or for godly living. We're going to start in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. We'll look at the uh, verses 10 through 12. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. 
what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, right before this part of the letter, Paul describes false teachers who mishandle the word of God and resist the truth. That's why he starts here with, but you, right? He says that these are are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But here in verse 10, he tells Timothy, hey, you're different than these men because you have followed my way of life in Christ. Paul's teaching his conduct, his purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, and even the persecutions and sufferings that he experienced were all centered around this gospel message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. You can read about the persecutions that Paul faced in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra during his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. God's word actually has that. Paul, Paul's telling Timothy, hey, you remember these things and we can actually go back and read these things. Timothy was originally from the city of Lystra and he probably witnessed Paul being dragged out of the city and being stoned and left for dead by the Jews who opposed him there and incited the crowds to come out with him, with them and do these things to him. But as Paul tells Timothy here in verse 11, the Lord rescued Paul from all the persecutions and sufferings. Now, clearly he does not mean that God kept him from being persecuted, that God kept him from suffering, but instead God kept him through persecution, through suffering. He kept Paul alive in the midst of these things that he was facing so that Paul could continue by God's power, by God's grace, to preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. I love it. If you go to Acts uh, uh, 15, I believe is where it talks about Paul being stoned in uh, Lystra. They left him for dead, and then the very next sentence says, after they all left... Paul got up and went back into the city and preached the word. <laughs> I would definitely need some serious help from the Lord to be able to do that. Timothy uh, uh, became one of those disciples in Acts, and then in, in Acts 16, Paul invited Timothy to, to join him on a second missionary journey. They developed such a strong bond that Paul refers to Timothy here as my dearly loved son in the greeting of his letter. He loves him so much. Here in verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Timothy's not only a disciple, but now he's also one of Paul's co-workers in the gospel, serving at the church in Ephesus. And he's, he's also facing opposition himself from false teachers and Jews who oppose the gospel. Paul's reminding Timothy here not to be surprised, not to be afraid of persecution because it's normal in the life of everyone who follows Jesus. This is not just reserved for apostles and preachers and pastors and evangelists. Anyone who wants to live a godly life, Paul says, will experience persecution. That means that Paul's words are important for us too because persecution wasn't just reserved, again, for for those those people in, in these positions, it wasn't just reserved for the, even for the Christians in the early church in the first century. As long as there are unbelievers in the world, there will be hostility toward God. And that means that there will also be hostility toward his word and toward those who believe it. 
This is the hostility between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman that God talked about in Genesis 3.15. It's the hostility that Jesus predicted for all of his followers in John 15. Now, for most of our lives, we've only experienced this hostility secondhand, right? Through stories from the persecuted churches on the other side of the world, but we're separated from that experience because of distance. Because for a long time, our own culture, at least at the very minimum, adopted uh, and lived by a lot of the morality that's found in Scripture. And as our own culture continues to push the individual self as the ultimate source of truth and power, we're going to feel this hostility increase right here in our own lives as we continue to hold fast to the grace of Jesus Christ through the truth of God's word. It's going to require endurance on our part. That's why we need to be reassured along with Timothy of these words that Paul writes next. Look at verse 13 through 15. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, nobody likes to hear something is going to get worse, right? Can you think of any situation where like you're, you welcome that? I can't. Especially when things are already bad to begin with. Earlier in this letter, Paul says that, the false, that false teaching spreads like gangrene and it produces only more godlessness. I said this in chapter two. Here in verse 13, he reminds Timothy again of this reality. False teachers are deceived by their own teachings and they multiply that deception as they spread that teaching to others. In other words, everybody has gangrene because they've all departed from the truth. And that infection's only growing. But here in verses 14 and 15, Paul reminds Timothy how to keep from getting this spiritual gangrene, if you will. But as for you, Timothy, continue in the sacred scriptures that you have learned and firmly believe. You've known these scriptures, Timothy, from childhood, and you've seen their effect on all those who have taught it to you, taught them to you. Now, we already know from verse 10 that that Timothy learned the gospel from Paul And he saw the outworking of it in Paul's life. But at the beginning of the letter, Paul talks about the sincere faith that he saw in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and in his mother, Eunice. As a child, Timothy learned the sacred scriptures from these women. And Paul says that these sacred scriptures contain the wisdom needed to point people directly to Jesus and look to him for salvation. The false teachings of evil people and imposters contain no such wisdom. There's no wisdom there. Now, there's a couple takeaways for us here that we don't want to overlook. First, when Paul says sacred scriptures here, he's referring to all of the books in the Old Testament. That was their Bible back then. Um, By the time Paul was writing this letter, some of the New Testament was already being composed and accepted as scripture. But Timothy's mother and grandmother, they brought him up on the Old Testament scrolls. That's what they had. And Paul says that those scriptures, the Old Testament, those scriptures 
are able to give a person wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What does that mean for us? It means that even though we now have the entire New Testament, the Old Testament is still vitally important to us. That means that we can't just carry around a pocket New Testament. It means we need the whole thing. The New Testament writers are constantly quoting and alluding to the Old Testament because that was their Bible. The message of the gospel is not something that is absent in the Old Testament and then shows up out of nowhere in the New Testament. God first preached the gospel to Adam and Eve. Remember this when we went through Genesis? When he promised that one day the seed of the woman would have his heel crushed by the serpent, but that seed would eventually and ultimately triumph by crushing the serpent's head. The rest of the Old Testament tells of God's faithfulness to keep this promise in spite of his own people's unfaithfulness to him. And the New Testament reveals that he kept that promise in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited serpent crusher. Genesis 3, a few pages into the Bible, we already have the gospel. We need the Old Testament in order to truly grasp all that the New Testament has to tell us. The Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. It gives context to it. And, and on the flip side, maybe the other side of the same coin, the New Testament does not eliminate the Old Testament. It illuminates it. We're going to see this reality when we go through the book of Revelation this fall. The entire Bible points to Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through faith in him alone. That's why we preach through books from the New Testament and the Old Testament here at Redeemer. It's why we went through Genesis, and then we, we just finished up the Gospel of John. It's why we're going to go through uh, Revelation this fall, and then we'll go probably back to the Old Testament. We need a fuller and richer understanding of this incredible gospel and this incredible Christ. And all of the Bible helps us get that. All of it does. The Old Testament can be intimidating and confusing at times though, right? But the same can be said about the New Testament. In fact, Peter actually says that in, in his second letter, talking about Paul's writings and already assuming uh, that those are, are part of Scripture. These are hard things. But scripture is sufficient to interpret scripture. And so rather than avoiding the hard stuff, then shouldn't we be eager to dig into the whole Bible and learn about how all of it points to Jesus Christ if he truly is the object of our affection and our faith? We shouldn't want to leave anything out. Second takeaway that we don't want to miss here is an encouragement for parents and grandparents, and really for us as a, as a whole, as a church family. Our kids and grandkids today are being bombarded with deceptive messages that depart from the truth and spread like gangrene. It can be fearful if we don't understand what's going on. How do we, how do we help them navigate through a world that's becoming, it, to use Paul's words here, worse, deceiving and being deceived? Well, Paul's answer is that we point them to Jesus Christ through the sacred scriptures. God's word is sufficient to give them the wisdom that they need to distinguish truth from deception and to see that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. 
And if that was true for Lois and Eunice as they taught Timothy the Old Testament scriptures, then how much more so is that true for you and me now that we have not only the Old Testament but also the New Testament that so clearly proclaims Christ? We have all we need right here in the Bible to teach our kids what they need to know. God's word is sufficient because God's word tells us who God is and what God has done. It tells us who we are and what we have done. It tells us that our world is broken because we have broken it. Because we have broken our relationship with God by rebelling against him in our sin. It tells us of God's justice and righteousness and warns us that he will not leave the guilty unpunished. It tells us of God's love and mercy and grace and shows us that he has provided his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as a substitute to be punished in the place of sinners. It tells us that all who believe in Jesus will be forgiven of their sin, reconciled to God, and live forever with him. And it tells us that Christ is returning as judge of all the earth to crush the head of his enemy to put an end to sin and death, to renew this broken world and to make his home with his people forever. All of that is in here, right here, start to finish. That's enough for us to know our need. That's enough for, under, for us to understand. We're in trouble, but God has not left us on our own. He's brought himself to us in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. The scriptures are able to give us wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture alone is sufficient for you to teach your kids and grandkids this wisdom for salvation. But listen, you don't have to be alone in teaching them these things. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Timothy learned from his mother and his grandmother, but he also learned from Paul. He learned from other followers of Christ in the church at Lystra, members of this church right here of Redeemer Community Church in Monunk, Illinois and followers of Christ together we can commit to teach the scriptures to the next generation together and to use the Bible to point them to Jesus Christ and his abundant grace we have what we need we have what we need they can follow our teaching and our conduct and our purpose and faith and patience and love, our endurance, our persecutions, our sufferings as we center those things around the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. In other words, as we help them connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of their lives. But they can't continue in something that they haven't learned and so we cannot neglect our God-given calling and responsibility to teach them. Now maybe that last statement immediately sends you into a whirlwind and thinking this is an impossible task, right? I feel so inadequate. Maybe you feel the weight of this responsibility, but you also feel paralyzed to do anything about it because you just don't feel equipped to teach the Bible to your kids. I want to tell you that I still feel that way as a dad to my children, even though I'm also their pastor. We don't need to be Bible scholars in order to teach our kids. 
We simply need to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers of him. You know what disciple means? Learner. Student. We get to walk together with our children, growing in our dependence on the Lord and our confidence in him. Growing in our confidence in his word. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit that God's word promises that we have. He lives in us. and we, we can trust that he will grow us alongside our kids as we open his word together. So just try this this week, parents, grandparents, spiritual moms and dads, aunts and uncles. Open up God's word. Read it. Proclaim it out loud. Ask questions about it. Be okay with saying, you know what, I have no idea what this means right now. And, and rope other believers in with you to find out. God's word is sufficient, but God has, in his grace, given us people who are studying God's word and who can help us learn and, uh, what it means and understand it. That's why we have books over here for free on the, on the, the bookshelf. Listen, if you're going to grab something, grab this Bible right here. Don't set this aside just and start reading all those things. But every one of those books actually drives you back into the word and helps you understand it. Those are supplemental, not a substitute to this. We have the spirit of God inside us, the spirit who has opened our eyes, changed our hearts to help us to believe this truth in Jesus Christ. We have all that we need. God's given us his word, his spirit, and his church that we might grow in confidence in Christ together dependence upon him together. Try it. Open the Bible. Pray Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I might uh, behold wonderful things in your law. You go back down a little further to 24, 32, 33, somewhere in there. Give me understanding that I might obey your precepts. It's all right there. God even teaches us how to pray. There's help for those who feel ill-equipped to teach the Bible. What does that help? Paul tells us in the next set of verses. It's the Bible itself. Look at verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why is the Bible sufficient for godly living? Because every word of it comes from God himself. Now, in English, verse 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God, but that, that, that's, that doesn't really fully capture what Paul is getting at here. Okay, so bear with me for a minute. I want to have you hold your hand up in front of your face about an inch away, okay? And, and everybody say the word inspired. Did you feel your breath on your hand? You can't actually speak without breathing out, Okay? You can put your hand down now. I should probably put my hand down now. Did you smell your breath while you did that? <laughs> As you speak, you breathe out. You breathe out and push those words out. This is what Paul is conveying here. When we think of the word inspired, we often think of like inspiring, right? something that's motivating. We're inspired by a heartfelt speech or a compelling story or a beautiful picture. But Paul isn't saying that God merely motivated the writers of Scripture, that he sort of gave them this, this picture and, and they just let them run with it. 
the word Paul uses in the Greek, it's, it's like a made-up word. It's, it's a combination of some Greek words used nowhere else in Scripture. It's like you can't explain it in the language of the day, so you have, to, you, have to, you have to take the language and make it work for you. That word in the Greek literally means all Scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. It's why we refer to the Bible as God's Word. The Bible's made up of 66 books. It's written by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. So how does all of this work together? If it's God's word, if it's breathed out by God, how do these authors come into play? The Apostle Peter helps answer that in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That that phrase, carried along, it's like wind blowing into the sail of a ship, causing it to follow a certain course. Similar to this breathed out, this this wind blowing. As God breathed out his word, his Holy Spirit directed every author of every book in the Bible to write what they wrote so that it would be without error when they wrote it. And he sovereignly used the different personalities, the writing styles, the education levels, and the life experiences of each of these authors to shape their words so that what they wrote was exactly what he wanted them to write. 66 books, think about this. 66 books, 40 plus authors across a time span of of about 1,500 years and not only are there zero significant contradictions between them, there's a few grammar things here and there, but nothing that changes any truth. But they all fit together to tell one grand story of redemption that leads us straight to Jesus Christ. What else can do that? What other writings do we have that even come close to comparing to something like this? How is this possible because God himself is the primary author of all of it. All scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. Now when Paul says, again, all scripture, he was referring to the Old Testament mainly here. That's what he had in view since the New Testament was still being uh, in the process of being written. And yet, can we just, can we just admire the, the, the wisdom and the majesty of God for a moment? Here we are reading this letter to Timothy as scripture. Paul is literally writing these words out as God is breathing them out. As Paul is is encouraging Timothy in the faith, God has plans to use Paul's words to encourage all of us in the faith. Is that not amazing? All scripture is breathed out by God, who is good and does good. Psalm 119.68, and he cannot lie, Titus 1.2. Then all scripture is profitable, Paul says. It's useful, it's beneficial. So what is it profitable for? It's profitable for teaching. We use the Bible to instruct one another in the truth. All scripture enlightens our minds and hearts to the things of God. It's profitable for rebuking 
We use the Bible to expose the inconsistencies in one another's lives between what we believe and how we live. All scripture uncovers our sin and rebellion and shows us what is wrong. It's profitable for correcting. We use the Bible to help each other recalibrate and walk in greater obedience to Christ. All scripture leads us in the way of grace and it shows us what is right. It's profitable for training in righteousness. We use the Bible to help each other practice godly living. All scripture matures us spiritually so that we become more and more like Jesus. You remember what he he prayed in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Why is scripture profitable for all these things? Paul tells us, or tells Timothy in verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In the main context of this letter, <clears throat> excuse me, letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy that God's word is sufficient to fully equip him as a pastor in the church of Ephesus for the gospel ministry that God has given him to do. But there's application here for all of us as well in Paul's words. God's word is sufficient to provide us with everything that we need for everything that we do. There's nothing that God calls us to do that his word does not equip us completely for and his spirit does not empower us to carry out. We lack nothing because God's word lacks nothing that we need. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for godly living and since godly living requires that we proclaim the gospel to others, God's word is also sufficient for gospel ministry. Chapter four, one and two. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. These are weighty words of a man who knows that his time is short. Timothy, God is watching. Jesus is the judge. He's coming back. His kingdom is the only kingdom that will stand. Timothy, hear me when I tell you this. Preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, don't be intimidated by false teachers. Don't be fearful of them. Preach the breathed out word of God and use it to point people to Jesus Christ and to call them to turn from their sin and put their faith in him. Be ready, Timothy. Be equipped to do this in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Use the word of God to equip others in the gospel of God's grace. Correct them with it, Timothy. Rebuke them with it. Encourage them with it. Teach them this gospel-filled word of God. Help them connect the realities of the gospel with the realities of their lives. Notice what Paul tells Timothy to do this with great patience. Why? Verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now it's clear from what Paul has already said in this letter to Timothy that he expects Timothy to be faced with this reality. He's not just pointing to something far off in the future. But his words here could just as easily be describing our present reality, couldn't they? 
We live in a culture that refuses to tolerate the truth of God's word and accuses Christians of intolerance because we hold to this truth. It's a culture where people live according to their own desires and they only listen to people who tell them what they want to hear. And they turn away from the truth that they so desperately need to hear and continue on deceiving and being deceived. Why? This, this is why great patience is needed on our part. Because when people turn away from the truth of Scripture, they also grow hostile toward those of us who turn toward the truth of Scripture. And when people get angry and falsely accuse us and slander us, it's tempting to want to fight back and prove them wrong, isn't it? Put them in their place, so to speak. To use God's word as some sort of club. But when we give into that temptation, hear me, we are actually the ones that are turning away from the truth of Scripture. Why? Because when we do that, when we fight back, when we're not patient and gentle and kind and speaking the truth and love to others, we are ignoring what God's word teaches us in James 1, 19 and 20, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. We're forgetting what God's word teaches us in Titus 3, 3 through 7, that we too were once foolish and disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Incredible. When we fight back in anger, we're overlooking what God's word teaches us right here in Paul's final words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle with, to everyone, able to teach, and here it is again, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness, and perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the truth, to the knowledge of the truth. Then, we may, or then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, we don't repay evil for evil. Instead, we correct, we rebuke, and we encourage with great patience in teaching that comes from the God-breathed scriptures, empowered by the Holy Spirit himself, in love, understanding that we were once in the place of those who now oppose us. We trust that these God-breathed scriptures are able to give people wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And we pray, we pray that God in his grace would make their ears itch for the truth of his word by the power of his spirit and that he would rescue them from the deceptive death trap of the devil because that's exactly what he has done for you and me. You know what God's word is sufficient to do? 
it's sufficient to remind us of our insufficiency. We've all sinned, every one of us. We've all fallen short of God's glory, the God who created us, and none of us is able to fix what we have broken. We are all unable to undo our rebellion and to be reconciled to God by our own efforts. It's not by our works. But God's word is also sufficient to show us the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to be our savior. His righteous life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection are all that we need to be made right with God again. We sang that this morning. So here's a question. Are you aware of your own insufficiency? Do you see your need for Jesus? The truth of scripture is clear that salvation only comes through faith in him. So I beg you, don't turn away from hearing the truth. Let anyone who hears Listen, listen to this truth. Turn away from your sin. Don't turn away from the truth. Don't turn away from Jesus. Turn away from your sin. Flee the trap of the devil and run. Run to Jesus Christ in faith. Confess your sin to him and your need for him. Trust him and the promise of God's word, the breathed out word of God is that you will be saved, forgiven, redeemed, transformed forever don't wait don't wait until we're done here today believe in Jesus now surrender your life to him now well Paul started this section in verse 10 of chapter 3 by essentially saying hey Timothy you've seen my example and he's going to finish it here in this last verse verse 5 by saying Timothy follow my example Here's what verse 5 says. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. When Paul says do the work of an evangelist here in the Greek, it's literally do the work of one who speaks the gospel. Do the work of one who speaks the gospel. Where does the gospel come from? God's word. Timothy, do the work of one who speaks God's word. We could essentially summarize verse 5 this way. But as for you, Timothy, keep trusting God's word. Keep proclaiming God's word because God's word is sufficient. This is why God's word is central to all that we do here at Redeemer. It's why we read and sing and preach and pray and live God's word when we're together. It's why we come to hear the word and not the preacher, but why we need preachers who will preach the word. God's word is completely sufficient to equip us with everything that we need for godly living and gospel ministry. And it's completely sufficient to do this because God's word leads us straight to Jesus Christ, our sufficient savior. It's truly heartbreaking that churches are setting aside this life-giving word and turning away from the grace that's only found in Jesus Christ. But as for you and me, as for Redeemer Community Church, may we continue by God's grace in what we have learned and firmly believe. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us fully and completely in your written word because your written word reveals fully and completely 
your living word, your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for this gospel, this beautiful message of salvation from the beginning pages to the final pages. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us over and over of the sufficiency of your word to give us all that we need for this life and all that you've called us to do in it. Empower us by your spirit. Work your word in our hearts. Keep leading us straight to your son in greater dependence upon him and confidence in him. Not only that we can enjoy and celebrate all that you've given to us in Christ, but that we can live in joyful, joyful obedience to him and perhaps see that you would grant others salvation through faith in him as we proclaim this sufficient word. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.